0: Are we ready to go?
1: This is Kieran with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Yakkin with Ken. And, you know, for those of you who have been tuning in for our buddy Ken, he's been on hiatus for a while. But he is now returning to New Cleveland Radio, and I like the new format. You are going to have guests, and you're going to yak back and forth with them, right, Ken?
0: Yeah, I always... Well, I've <laughs> run out of words for a while. I mean, very unusual for me, you know, but I, <laughs> I usually have a lot of words. I do a lot of yakking. And then all of a sudden, I, this, this year, I don't know, I hit a wall. It's like, you know... I, I, related to my artist self, you know, when the artist or the musician says, I can't write a song and I can't, uh, I can't paint a picture. Well, that's what happened to me. I, I just, I didn't know what happened. I just hit this wall and I didn't have anything to say.
1: <laughs> and so I didn't say it. I
0: didn't, I didn't say anything, you know, and, uh, slowly around all of a sudden I said, man, eh, maybe I got a few things to talk about. So looking forward to getting back on, uh, getting back on the radio and, uh, Getting going again
1: sounds wonderful. So, tell us a little bit about your guest today.
0: Uh, well, she she has a story to tell, and you know, like most people, you know, it it's, it comes out of your history, comes out of your life, comes out of what's meaningful to you. Uh, sometimes it takes uh, a month or two to get it together. Sometimes it takes forty years, uh, and. Debbie is someone who has written a book about her experience, and I think it's best uh, that she tell her story. You know, it, it's an interesting story. Um, like, like, like life, it's not always fun, and there's um, painful things involved. And, and for us as an audience or us as, as participants, it's maybe something we can learn. We can pick up something from what she's learned and identify maybe with parts of her struggle. So let me uh, let me turn it over to her, and let's let's hear what she what she can tell us.
2: Well, good morning, Ken and Karen. Um, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. And Ken is right. I just finished writing a book. It's been released. It's called Torched by a Gaslighter. And it took me five weeks to write something that was 25 years in the making. And the book touches on gaslighting and domestic abuse and the red flags, especially a lot of them are just very subtle, and you don't and you question yourself all through the process of, you know, is this right or is this normal?" Until one day, um, really I hit the wall and attempted suicide and woke up in a psych ward and the doctor told me, your environment is making you sick. So I knew I, I had three children and I knew I needed to make a decision and because I wanted them to see a woman that was, you know, strong and intelligent and capable and, you know, not just a woman, but their mother and set that example for them. I also wanted to set that example of that the abuse had to stop with me because I didn't want them to you know, ha- have some of those things happen to them. Nor did I want them to become victimizers of other people. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, you know, a long, a long process and stuff for me to kind of wake up, so to speak. But I did, and I'm glad that I did. And mm-hmm. you know, to to a great extent, I've. Um, have felt liberated when I made the decision to leave. It was very liberating. And, um, you know, then, then I began the process of rebuilding my life. So one step at a time.
0: Good. Listen, let's, let's structure this a little differently rather than jumping right in, uh, to, you know, what happened and, and your recovery from all of that. Let's go back, you know, you're talking to a family therapist, right? So you, (laughs) You got to get the context. And I'd like to hear more about your childhood, you know, like who you were when you were a little kid and, and how you fit in and what you thought the world was and what your expectations were, you know, like the, the give us a clue about, you know, maybe what led up to uh, your life. So sure. if, if, you, if you can, you know, give us, give us the background. Where were you born? Who, who was in the house? And what was it like?
2: Sure. Um, I was born in Santa Monica California I'm a native Californian and I have you know two parents uh, that knew each other from they grew up together in the West Hollywood area so they became childhood sweethearts and and, and eventually married and I have I'm the oldest and I have one younger sister how and old were they
0: when they married
2: uh 20 21
0: whoa wow. they were
2: 21 yeah
0: back then right. Kid, 21 was normal kids.
2: yes yes, absolutely yeah and my dad had just returned from he he had been drafted in in the army he was supposed to go to korea and at the very last minute got taken out of that line and went to europe and where he spent the next three years chauffeuring a colonel all around europe checking on the the troops this was still the time when troops were occupying Europe as a result of World War II. So this, we're talking mid 50s, 1950s. Mm. So he, he got the, he got the uh, lucky in there, driving around a colonel rather than to go to battle. But, um, you know, it was pretty much a, a normal childhood. My, my dad started a painting contracting business and my mom eventually did the books and stuff. She was able to stay at home doing that part-time while they were growing their business. While you know, my sister and I were growing up, we went to parochial grammar school. We went to, I went to an all girls Catholic high school. Pretty much, I think a sheltered life, but a good life. You know, my, mm-hmm. my parents were able to provide for us. Certainly there were, you know, boundaries and, and, and rules um but for the most part of uh i have like a leave it to beaver you know classic <laughs> classic home
0: and what uh, what country were your parents for parents from
2: um they were both from the midwest and had had come to california during the the war their parents had moved out for work during this was like the 19 19- 45-ish time frame and you know their parents came looking for work out, out here this is still the result of the repercussions of the depression um, my mother's side of the family had farms I know one uh, one of her grandparents lost their farm and uh, so they they came out looking for for work and at that mm-hmm. time the, the economy in California was booming this is this was the yeah. place to, this was the place to come.
0: They uh, Were they German? Uh,
2: German, I'm basically German and Irish, yes.
0: Yeah, because that, that the typical pattern of Germans moving to the Midwest, having farms and some doing very well and others having to uh, refocus and remove and start all over again.
2: Yes, yeah.
0: So it was a struggle in, in some ways for them.
2: Yes, and... I'm into genealogy, so I've done some some research and stuff. And when you know a lot of the family had come over, it was like in the mid 1850s. You know, during a lot of it, and it was especially from Germany. It was during a, a lot of political unrest, and um, they're Catholic, so they there were some issues, you know, with them being able to practice their faith. So I give them a lot of credit you know, coming to a country with barely anything to take anything and starting their lives over and not just, you know, finding work or, you know, a farm or providing a livelihood, but to fit into the the American culture, to to learn the the English language and to try to provide a better life for the next generation. So I give, I'm just in awe of that. And I don't know that I have that kind of Boss, so to say, so to speak to to do something like that
0: what, what do you think the three or four words that describe the um, the emotional attitude at home what was it what what did they believe in that they were teaching you
2: Oh uh, hard work um, de- determination you know persistence um, and what <laughs> one thing is independence. Um, I know my dad said some had said something about you know you don't ask others for help you just find a way of doing it
0: right
2: and I and I later learned that that's not a help that's not healthy because um, you know it's okay to give you know it's okay to help people but you're denying them the ability to help you if you don't have that reciprocation so that is something that to be honest with you I'm still kind of working on.
0: Yeah. Any Anytime things got rough and I would bitch or complain, my mother would tell me about her father who came from Germany on the boat. And when he got here, he was nine years old, uh-huh. spoke German
1: uh-huh. and
0: got a job in New York City as an apprentice in a picture frame making operation. And he worked that for 70 years. Wow. You know, and went to work, took a ferry and a bus and a whatever carriage horse to get to work. Worked a ten-hour day, came home, and he and he was a teenager. Talk about, yeah. you know, where 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 was baseball and where was the girls and and where was sitting at home doing your homework? He knew nothing of that. So you know, and she she always talked about that as being. <laughs> Well, if you think you got it bad or if you think <laughs> your life is rough, you know, take a look at this. You know?
2: Yeah. And sometimes and, and it so was it, about...
0: It just gave you this, there, there was no out from that, you know. You right, right. You just shut down. And you had to do what you're supposed to do and shut up.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, it's like always trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes to look at it from their mm. perspective. But somebody always has it rougher than you, so to speak, you know. Yeah. Um, it, and in a way, it's, it's like it's one way of kind of denying that there are issues. you know It's like somebody else has it worse, you know I, I'm okay mm-hmm. let's let's move on.
0: What were the expectations for you when you when you were growing up? What did your mother expect of you?
2: I think both of my parents you know expected me to do well in school, do um, you know I'm brought up Catholic so to be the, the good little Catholic girl and you know, the, those in and of itself were were high expectations, you know, just walk that line.
0: That's when the church still had a good reputation in terms of the teaching the kids.
2: Yes, and uh, there were still nuns in the, uh, gosh, I remember that the nuns were in the full habits, you know, and just as Vatican II was starting to implement itself into the church, I still remember mass being said in Latin. So, and I was a little girl at that time, but I still remember, it's been a lot of changes uh, in in the church, but, you know, yes, I mean, it's, it's kind of like walk, walk the line. It took me many years um, to realize it's just not about the rules that we were always so entrenched in going through parochials, especially grammar school. You know, it's about having that relationship with God, and when that, flip that switch for me it's it it had all the difference in the world and then I could really see how much God had loved me and protected me you know and has guided me and I it's my faith I know that has gotten me through through a lot you know several challenges
0: and did you ever question it when it started to get rough about where is he um
2: yes yes I was in a very bad car accident in my uh, early 20s and I went through the windshield broke both kneecaps Um, it 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 took an extensive amount of physical therapy and several surgeries and um, when it when it happened I was like why did god what did I do to deserve this what did I Were do? Were you driving?
0: Did... or you a passenger? No, I was
2: a passenger. My ex was was driving. He pretty much walked away from, you know, he had a couple of scrapes and, and he rolled the car rolled. I mean, it was extensive impact, um, but he, he stayed with the car and he had, he walked away, no broken bones, just a couple of scrapes and bruises. And
0: what'd you, what do you think about that experience? What what conclusion did you come to?
2: Well, there's a little bit more to that story um, in that it happened out in the desert. I had I was actually uh, off work that week and he wanted me to come with him to a job that he was doing out in the desert. And I didn't really want to go because I was trying to get caught up. And, you know, it's my time and vacation stuff. So, you know, he uh, got upset that I didn't want to go with him. And so I reluctantly went and on our way back, that's when we were kind of T-boned and um, his boss had come out to take him home, but I was left in the desert for a few days by myself in the hospital, all these scrapes and bruises. And, and you know, it. the one nurse had to painstakingly wash my hair. I mean, I was just full of road debris and blood. He left
0: you, he left you in the hospital? Yes. What'd you think of that?
2: I felt very alone.
1: Well, yeah. Very
2: alone, very abandoned. You um, know, and again, even by God, you know, it's again, you. I thought, you know, I was like, yeah. what, what did I do to deserve this?
0: Yeah, well, that's a deep one. You can it still is. see it on your face now.
2: Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that, that's real trauma. Yes. And they don't go away.
2: No, but the, you know, time, what do they say? I, time heals all wounds, so they say. Until I've the I've gotten next a trauma. lot past it. You know, I don't think that it ever races anything, but you can deal with it better. You, yeah. you know, yes, it's a painful memory. Yeah. But, you know, out of that, I always look for something good that, uh, out of every situation. Mm-hmm. And that's when, um, as I was recuperating, that's when I became pregnant with my oldest one. So I know, again, God's timing, had I not gotten pregnant, that was my incentive really to get better. And go through all the physical therapy. If I, the physical therapy to learn how to walk again and bend your legs and stuff, that was brutal. But wow. having, having, knowing that I knew I, I had to take care of a baby, that a baby was coming, I'd have to take care of them, was a great incentive for me. So again, I've had things happen, and there's always been the silver lining, and and it's like, okay, let me focus on that positive. That's how mm-hmm. I'm going to move forward through this.
0: Yeah, well, how fortunate for you to have that aspect in you that that it helps you look to recover, or looks you helps you look out of yourself to say, you know, I'm still here, I'm okay. And I'm gonna get back on the horse, and I'm gonna go. What I am, do, what I gotta do.
2: Kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Sure. Uh, you know, about somebody always has it worse than you. So just suck it up and 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 move forward. So, I think, yeah. you know, to some well, extent, in, that's in, I can
0: identify with, with with that. It's very Germanic. You know, I mean. <laughs> Hard work, dust yourself off, get going and, you know, stop bitching about it and, and you know, make something out of, uh, you know, the, 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 make lemonade out
2: of the lemonade. Yeah, right. make,
0: the, make the lemonade, you know, yep. and, and that's a, as a therapist, I saw many people that were not fortunate enough uh, to have that. And when they got knocked down, they stayed down. And they got secondary gain for getting knocked down and they learned alternate ways of feeling sorry for themselves and others became dependent, others became depressed, others became drug addicted. You know, you see a lot of people that went off the curve and didn't learn the dust yourself off process. Yeah. And so you gotta thank your parents for what uh putting that in you and giving you that and uh, your spirituality helps. You know, I mean, you know, if if you think you're alone, but somebody's watching you, you're not alone.
2: Correct. Yep. Absolutely. That's been my saving grace. And, and, and you're right. I mean, had I, it's because of all of that. And again, even researching my genealogy and seeing all that and realizing all that, know i have a lot to be thankful for i mean yes have i gone through some challenges and stuff yes but um i'm a survivor and i've learned you know learned some lessons and i hope that i can pass on some of the lessons that i've learned to make somebody else including my own children's life better and maybe easier and not repeat some of the mistakes that 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 i made
0: yeah i think in everyone's life there's maybe a day or there's a a certain specific time where you make a real philosophical decision about your life. And you can be a child when, when you make this decision. But when I was 15, my dad died suddenly. And my mother, who was 43 years old at the time, was so seriously depressed that she stayed in bed for two years. This was, there wasn't any psychotropic meds back then. Nobody had antidepressants walking around, you know. So she, my father goes and then my mother is in the bed and, you know, I'm 16. I just turned 16. And okay, what do I do now? There's no parents. There's no more guidance. Whatever I got, I got. And is it going to be enough? And at that time, I said, no, I, I didn't get enough. I'm, you know, I, I need a hell of a lot more. Yeah. And I decided that I had to find it somewhere else because it wasn't in front of me. And if I was going to, from what I knew about life, I, I wasn't going to be able to steer the car. You know, I, I, I had no idea. And, and therefore, I came up with this philosophy is that I have to seek and find others to help me. And that's what I did. I, I, I went and looked for older men. And you know some of them gave good advice and some of them didn't. But uh, I always, had, always wondered when I was in college, how come I'm a freshman and I'm hanging out with the seniors? Mm. Uh, because I, I needed that. Yeah. And uh, you all ha- we all have to get to this point where you have to figure out what you really need. Not, not what you want, what you need and then go for what you need. Uh, I, I've used that my whole life with uh, the patients and people who have come to me. And I tell them, you know, forget about what you want. Yeah. Yeah, that, you'll, you'll never, that, that road will never end because when you want this and you get it, you'll want more. But look out for what you need and, and see if you can find what you need. And you seem to be someone who's done that. You, you found a way to keep steady on your feet. And, and keep going forward.
2: I have tried. And trust me when I say I pray, I've prayed a lot. And there's been some nights when I've cried myself to sleep, right? You know, because, you know, life, life can be a little bit challenging, you know, at times. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and, that, and, and that's okay. And did and you, when, when, you, when
0: you were getting married, how old were you? I was 19. 19. Mm-hmm. Okay. By today's standard, that's a child. Yes. Right. And you, you thought you would get married. And what was going to be your guiding principle? What, what were you going to do with getting married? What was it?
2: What was it? Um, you know, I, I looked forward to being a, a wife and mother and, you know, having that family. Again, being raised Catholic, divorce was never in our vocabulary. So I knew, you know, this was a commitment for life. Mm-hmm. And uh, thought I had found the, the right person, the, the one. Yeah. You said so was. you had a
0: lot of ideals and ideas. Yes. And, and not a lot of experience.
2: Yes, that's correct. Right. And yep. so,
0: you know, if you look at that from a clinical point of view, you're vulnerable. Yes. You're vulnerable because you're trusting one person to guide you, and everything's going to work out from there. And hope your picker is good,
2: yes, it <laughs> turned out not to be so good,
0: so well, you wouldn't expect it to be at nineteen. who can make that deep a decision at nineteen that who can really uh See what character is all about and integrity is all about. You know, getting, right. the hormones are in the way. You have your yeah. idea. You know, we look at fantasies. You know, there's all kinds of things that interplay into. Oh, it's going to be so nice. I'm going to have the house, the picket fence, and we're going to have two dogs. And yeah,
2: And going back to the Leave It to Beaver. You know, yeah. ideal. I, I yeah. You know, because I, I wanted what I grew up with. Yeah. You well, know, it sounds
0: it, like what you grew up was pretty good. It was.
2: It was, it was good. You know, so and, and
0: I mean, like kids that, have a lot of, kids that have a lot of adversity and problems and see a brutal marriage uh, in their parents, uh, you know, everybody feels sorry. for them. Oh, they've come from a broken home or they come from this. And yet you look at that. Those kids are a little bit more prepared for adversity. Yes. They're prepared yes. for, you know, the, what, when the ink drops on the paper. So tell us tell us your story from that point. Now you're married and you got you got uh, you got your ideal.
2: I have my ideal that well interesting part of this is as the day I was getting married and getting right as my dad and I entered the church my stomach flipped. And I didn't know kind of what it was and I remember grabbing on to my dad and my dad said you can back out if you want to but then I'm looking at 200 pairs of eyes looking at me I'm at the entrance of the church I kind of talked it up to um wedding day bitters so I was like no I'm going through with this and about I don't know one to two months into the marriage we had a small earthquake um and in I my X was at work at the time, so I called my parents and said, "Hey, did you feel that? You know, you guys okay? You know, I and I don't like earthquakes. I mean, I know I'm a native Californian, but no, I have an earthquake app on my phone. I'm terrified of them. Anyway, he comes home as I'm talking to my parents, and uh, you know, kind of motions, who are you talking to? So I mouthed, you know, my family, and he. Made a motion like hang up the phone, so I quickly got off the phone, and he blew up at me for calling his calling my family because I was scared. And he said, "You you don't call them for the, for for that. You know, you call me." Well, this was before cell phones and all that kind of technology, they had no way of getting a hold of them. And he he slapped me. He slapped me hard on the face, and then put his fist through the wall.
0: Oh. And
2: um. I never saw my dad hit my mother or even remotely. Did they argue from time? Yeah, but not not physical, not anything like that. So this was all really brand new and it scared the you know what out of me. And that was like the beginning of really starting to walk on eggshells. Did you tell anybody? No, in fact, my sister had come over, a, I wanna say a day or two later. She sees the hole in the wall and she's looking at it and I lied. And I said, oh, we were moving something and it, you know, the wall. <laughs>
0: now that's <laughs> a very hole interesting. hole in the
2: wall made it dead in the wall. Th-
0: that's and very she, interesting because here you are, goody two shoes, Catholic girl, married, now happy, everything's going well. And all of a sudden you lie.
2: Yeah. Why? Yeah. Um, I didn't want to admit that I made a mistake.
0: And had you admitted and saw that red flag for what it was, life would have changed for you right then. Yes. There, there, there was the first signal. If you if you didn't catch it, well, you're gonna see that one again.
2: Yeah, I mean, he did all the crying and oh, I'm so sorry, I should never have done this, I'll never do it again, blah, 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 blah.
0: Blah, blah, blah.
2: I have to say that he never did hit me again but years later, he he really he really hit one of my kids. He what? He hit, he, did, he beat one of my kids, bruised him badly.
0: Did you do anything then?
2: Uh, it was very hard for me to do it. I had a two year old and I was like six months pregnant. And so I felt, Trapped. I couldn't protect you know it's like which child do I protect the one in my womb was a you know trying to get to him as quickly as possible to for it to stop and then it did stop but I remember you know laying in bed that night and scared. it's like I, I couldn't I couldn't tell anybody again because it's admitting that I made a mistake and it's like, you know, my parents, what are they going to say? They're going to, you know, um, again, it's all the, the mindset and the thoughts that we say. It's like, oh, well, you made your bed. You live in it. You know, you, you stay. Did, and did like, you
0: know you needed help?
2: Not then, no.
0: And, and, and see, there's the protective innocence of your childhood it shows up. You know, you, you, you don't even know that, whoops, this is not normal. This is not supposed to happen and you know, there's a lot of maybe there wasn't that many books out about it then, but there were some. But you know, there there were counselors back then. There were groups. I in the sixties I ran groups of women that came in with your story to the emergency room where I saw them and they would wound up in the support group upstairs, all trapped, all with young kids, all without jobs, and all would have various forms of abusive and controlling men in their life. Yeah,
2: yeah, Yeah, I was still not really aware of it. It was still even um, maybe about five years later, I actually went to, when I was doing my grocery shopping, I was in the uh, checkout line, and there's one of those national women's magazines. Mm -hmm. There was a a recipe on the cover and I thought, well, that looked good, picked it up for that, not knowing that there was an article in there about a woman writing about verbal abuse. And um, didn't read it right away, it was a couple of days later. And in reading that article, the woman talks about how when her husband would come home from work, her stomach would stop, start flipping. And Mm -hmm. that was a trigger for me to remember my wedding day. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like, okay, and then it started to happen to me when my ex came home. He was a traveling right. salesman, would leave Monday, come back Friday, and that happened the first few times, and yeah. it was like, okay, that's when I realized. How, that- how to
0: read yeah. the psychosomatic symptoms of my own body. How do I understand what my body is trying to tell me? Yeah. It's all right there. I don't even have to think about it. It's right there. I just have to interpret it correctly.
2: Yeah. And I'm really good at denying, you know, denying what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. It's just like, okay, well, I got to do this. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is move forward. Not really thinking through. I deny my feelings a lot. I obviously denied them for many years. Sure. I I realized, you know, those um, roll top desks and they've got all the pigeonholes. Well, it finally came to a point that there was no more room in those pigeonholes for me to stuff all of the years of feelings. Oh, hence, here. I became
0: very depressed. Yeah, I mean, your your story, your 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 what you're telling us is so typical of women that get themselves into further trouble yeah. be- because they don't read what's going on and stand up for themselves. is really what it comes down to. you know, you don't know that you're allowed to say no to this right. you don't know that this is unacceptable you know you have to break through your own denial your own displacement your your, your own rationalization everybody makes excuses i mean back in the the day they if, look look at an alcoholic family system the yes. amount of excuses that they make for the alcoholic if he is the one or she is the one that is bringing home the money in the family because they need the money. And so they'll wake him up. They'll lie to his boss. They, uh, and they'll do all kinds of enabling behavior to keep the system the same.
1: Yeah.
0: And unfortunately you're protecting a predator. Yes. And a predator, I mean, there was a great book. I used to give it out. It said how to make a monster. Mm-hmm. And how to make a monster is you just keep feeding it. You know, you, you you keep feeding it. You don't do anything to. You know, it's getting bigger and bigger, and it's destroying more things. And you think, well, if you get a bigger house, it will. You know, there'll be more room for him. You know. And
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It really, it really is. You know, the story of so many women of the generation before me too stood up, and said, mm-hmm. "I'm not going to take this anymore." You know, and and I I got support from the sisterhood. I got support from everybody now, and I got a voice. Yes. You know, and there were so many women that lived trapped, especially if you look back in the past generation, your mother's generation, the 40s and 50s, how they had no chance. They had no chance because they didn't have at least the wherewithal of of, uh, uh, earning their own money. You know, the women who came along after the 60s and the 70s started to make their own money. And therefore, they made marriage decisions that were a lot different because they weren't dependent and trapped in, in the situation based on just money.
2: Right. Right.
0: And, and it, it, to learn how to, to live with that, you have to have a lot of denial. You have to have a lot of displacement of your own emotions. And you see so many women who had a lot of medical conditions because Mm. of their displacement. It was all buried anger. It was all buried sadness. It was buried everything.
2: I remember the um, therapist telling me that depression is actually anger turned inward.
0: Inward. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And I never understood that until I wrote this book. Mm-hmm. And when I'm writing, you know, about this um, some some incidents and stuff, and I'm realizing, oh my God, I really was angry, and um, because I did not leave a suicide note, and it was on purpose, um, but I didn't realize how calculating I was back <laughs> then until I wrote it. It came out in 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 the book, and that's when I realized I was real. I was angry. I now I now I get it about the angry
0: direction. and trapped.
2: Yes. Yeah, that was the only way I knew how to lash. Suicide is a no exit.
0: Suicide attempts are no are no exit philosophy. There's no way out of this other than to call it quits.
1: Yeah.
0: And luckily, you didn't succeed.
2: And by the grace of God, He had something else planned for me.
0: Yeah, He was there. He was there. Yeah. I remember. Well, I, he, and at some right? point, that's why I mentioned it earlier. At some point, you lost him too, because you wouldn't. If you really thought you were still being watched, and there was going to be a road, no matter how bad it is, you know, if you look at the the men that have written about living in dungeons, and you know, putting dungeons not their own fault, and had to survive living in a dungeon, uh, who's watching me? You know, who, who knows I'm here? So, so tell us more about you know, your book and what you wrote.
2: I came about this in a different process. It's about two women, different ages, different walks of life. They come across each other and meet in a park and become friends. Um, one is older. She's been through been gone through a domestic violence situation. And the younger one is suspecting that she may, you know, that something's not right at home. So they strike up a friendship and that's how uh, a lot of what's happened to me has come out through some of these, you know, the stories and the conversations. And um, and there's, you know, a little bit of tragedy, you know, kind of thrown in there. You can't have everything PT King, right? Uh, but it really is, the purpose is really to, show the red flags. some of the red flags especially for me it was isolation Um, I was totally isolated from family friends um, and and you know that that was else helped contribute to the depression I believe and um, you know and and just how subtle you know the the these flag these red flags can play on you you know when you easy to kind of deny it it's easy to kind of chalk it up to something else, you know, maybe he's had a bad day. That's why he's so angry. Um, and because it's not so easy because I, I think there's people that think, well, why? Why did I stay 17, 17 years? Well, it's not that easy, you know, and because not every day was a bad day. There were a lot of good days. And when also when you have children involved, you're thinking in terms of what's in their best interests as, as well. And then it goes back to money and support. I was a stay-at-home mom; really, wasn't allowed to work either. Yeah, yeah. I, thought I was to do that. it's you know, so,
0: generally referred to as the golden handcuffs.
2: Yes, I hadn't heard that before, but that's I like that. Um, so yes, I was I was trapped. I was handcuffed, and but I just kind of want to show the subtleties that, you know, if it was a magazine article that woke me up maybe this book might help somebody and wake somebody else up. Beautiful. And really at the end of the day, I got out, I rebuilt my life. Was it always easy? No, but I did it. I I put myself back through college. You know, I raised two of the three kids. You know, I I now have relationships. There was parental alienation involved with the divorce and stuff as well with the oldest one, but I reestablished all of the relationships and, um, you know, life, life is good. It's taken me a long time, but I can actually say I'm, I'm happy.
0: Maybe you should put your book in the checkout line in the supermarket. (laughs) (laughs) You know, somebody come along and they see your book and then, you you know, it'll help them.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, maybe. Yes. Yeah. And that's really what I want to do is just to show the subtleties and, you know, Get people to think is like, you know, is everything, is everything right at all? Maybe it's not. And to start asking those questions and, and, you know, work it out, whether it's, you can rebuild that marriage and, you know, to, to a healthy relationship, or if you can't, then get out and rebuild your life and be healthy and happy.
0: My question, you know, from a therapist's point of view, you discover your anger. Mm-hmm. What'd you do when you discovered it?
2: Um, well, the, back in back in the day, that was the suicide attempt, which I didn't realize was was the anger. I was just I didn't know how to escape other than to attempt suicide. I guess um, once I decided to leave, you know, and made that decision, it was very very liberating. Um, you know, a lot of I think the biggest pain for me was really the, the, the guilt I felt about my oldest child getting beaten. And as a Catholic, it was many years later, I happened to go be going to confession and, you know, talking with the priest. And he said, he, he, I brought up the divorce and it had been even 17 years after I've gotten the divorce. And he said, there are chains that are still binding you. And I went, what are you talking about? He goes, have you ever thought about going through the annulment process? And I said, Father, it's been 17 years since, you know, I've been divorced. And, you know, the church isn't going to look at that. He goes, you'd be surprised. I went, okay. So it took me a few more months, like another six more months before I had the courage to go to the parish um, pastor and, and say, you know, can I get the paperwork for this? And then even another few more months to do it. But And it's quite a lengthy process. Let let me tell you, it's it's not easy, nor should it be easy. But there was one night when I was writing about that incident. And I broke down. I have never cried so hard. And like from my gut, as I did when I wrote about that. And I realized is that I never forgave myself. God had long forgiven me. I never forgave myself for allowing, for feeling that I have allowed that to happen. And so that was very, very freeing for me.
1: That's so healing.
2: Even, very free, free. It just, I, as I said, I got retching sobs. I don't think I ever cried like that before. And I've never, in not not, never cried like that since. But, it, yeah, it but that was really, a good one. That was a good one. That was a a lifelong, that that was all all for for many, many years. And as I wrote the chapter in the book about this, um, it's still painful. I mean, it kind of brought tears to my eyes, but not, I'm I'm okay with it now. I mean, I do feel bad that that happened, but I don't feel guilty about it. And my son and I have spoken about it. He's very aware that I put that in the book.
0: Excellent. That's a good role model for everybody to see what you finally, got, what was underneath it all. And it was all there all along. And it, your recognition of it. Look, look, you talk about boldness and power. Look, look what it's done for you.
2: I, I actually, it's taken me 63 years to have a voice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it's like any writer they have to find their voice. You know, you can't write anything, you can't write anything, you can't write anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, a voice comes out. And once you put the first 10 words down, 10,000 words follow, 20,000 words follow. Yeah. It's just like all of a sudden, there's a strength that comes from a very clear, honest, direct connection to your inner self. It's like hello. Right. right, and
2: that and that for you've got to because for for the last couple of years I've been feeling like I need to be doing something but I didn't know what and it kind of went one direction is like well I keep getting these roadblocks you know now what I happened to meet somebody who said well I just wrote a book and a little right. bit about my story and things like that and then that's when my wheel started and it's like well maybe maybe that's what I need to do and then when I realized you know. It, it all came out within five weeks, and I never did yeah. have a writer's block. It just came.
0: Who who, who published your book?
2: Motivation Champs, uh, Dominic Dominski.
0: And are, are you signed with them to do any 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 readings?
2: Uh, not yet. I'm working on getting on getting that done. So I would like to I'd like to do that.
0: Yeah. When I wrote mine, I did I did the readings at Barnes and Noble, and that. You know, it brings in all kinds, of, and, and then you have an audience there yes. that, yeah. you know, they've read your book or they're going to read your book and they ask you questions. And then you start talking, and before you know it, it's over. And then there's, there's a whole line of people who want to talk to you.
2: Yeah, yeah. I am in and, the process. You know, and
0: then you help. really get to feel like, wow, I, I can really help these people now. I know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. I know yeah. where yeah. you are. I know what, you know, you see the ones that are a little bit cowering and you know what it's all about
2: and before I um before the book was released I had been uh you know talking a bit about it on social media you know I have LinkedIn, Facebook Instagram and uh I had had several people even before the book was released just say thanking me for being bold enough to write something about it and you know you hear you know, I'm obviously not alone. There's a lot of other women, and, and even men. This happens to men as well, that have gone through being gaslighted, going through some kind of domestic abuse, and you know, being thanked, and, and you know, just bringing this subject to light. And I think it's, I think that in alone is it's helping people. They're it, they're kind of waking up. It's like, oh, well, that happened to her, and um, you know are realizing that it's happening to them.
1: You know, Debbie, when I had you on my show, one of the things that um, came out was I started opening up to you. Um, And I haven't opened up like that, oh, probably 30 years now. Um, And there are more things that have been coming out. And it's so relieving to know that... um, I, my responsibility was that I didn't get out sooner. Yeah. But, um, the fact that when I did get out, um, I've, I survived as difficult as it was. And to all your listeners, we're all going to still feel these pains on and off through the rest of our life. It's not going to go away, but we're going to react to them differently. And you and your book just made me feel like, Okay, I am a survivor. And if I feel the pain, that's all right. I'm gonna acknowledge it and then move on. So exactly. thank you.
2: Thank you. That that's probably one of the nicest things people have said to me. So yeah. but it is generating those those kind of comments. And you know, I I've always again it's part of my faith, you know, we all are here to 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 know, love, and serve the Lord. And if this is serving the Lord, is by bringing this out, and you know, let's do better for ourselves. Let's let's do better for our kids. Let's do better for our future generations. You know, there's too way too much violence out there, and let's try and figure out how we can all interact better with each other without without the abuse, without the violence.
0: Yeah, mine. I had an abusive mother, and when I was 16, she she would always hit me. And I finally stopped her. I grabbed her arms as she was trying to hit me. And once I grabbed her arms, she tried to kick me. (laughs) And so (laughs) I now had to learn that I didn't have to, I, I don't, I just, I had to watch out for the feet as well as the arms. But what my point was, my physicality is what saved me. I was a boy, and I grew, and I got stronger, and I could defend myself. It wasn't a thought. It wasn't how to defend my. It was just a physical response to this woman. And finally, she saw my strength, because I really grabbed her arms. And I said, you're not going to do this anymore. It's going to stop. And it stopped, but we didn't talk anymore. Yeah. You know, the relationship stopped. And so I, I, I'd solved one problem, but boy, I created a problem in the kitchen for myself. You know, <laughs> I had to make my own food from now on. You know? But the lesson was it had to end at some point. And, and And at some point, you, you maybe just instinctually, you do something right and it stops it. But you, you're very inspirational. I'm very, very moved by your story today.
2: I mean, thank, you really, thank you.
0: you know, you're a good person at heart all the way down. And you could see you know, my my analogy for you is the mouse that roared, you know.
2: Mm, I like that. Yeah. You know, his his parting words to me was um, you'll never make it and no one will ever love you. Yeah. And those were the wrong things to say, I mean, I I have made it, I, you know, was able to put myself back through college, and, you know, I've worked myself up into a career, being able to provide for the kids, you you know, again, I'm happy, and, and again, it was writing this book, sometimes it's that love part that has gotten to me, where I can sometimes get stuck, and it was in writing the book is realized, that's not love, that's, that's, That's and I certainly don't want any part of that. If you think you know, no one will ever love me like that. You're right; no one will ever love me like that. If that's your definition of love, it ain't happening again. So.
0: And do you have a a copy of your book hanging around nearby right now?
2: I do. Hold on just a second. I've actually started a, a LLC called Broken to boldness and you can see it on on the back. And it's really again to, you know, uh, I've got some resources on there. You can also order the book through the the website and uh, as as well as Barnes and Noble. And it's just trying to be inspirational and and helping people if they have, if they suspect there's that they may be in a situation, there's resources that you can call, or email, or, or just go on their websites to kind of learn, learn more. Because I'm, I'm not yeah. the expert, but I want to just provide people. And you, and you have a go.
0: downloadable version, too? You have it on Kindle and stuff?
2: Not yet. It Probably in a couple of weeks, it'll go on Kindle. But um, hopefully, I'm not sure if you can see it. There's it's called Torched, Burnt by a Gaslighter. Nice. And uh, um, I love I hope cover. it becomes
0: a bestseller.
2: Well, I, hope so, I hope so too. Just trying to get the get the word out and you can buy it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble or on my website at www.brokentoboldness.com.
0: Good for you. Yay. Thank
2: you. You, know,
1: you are Thank wonderful, you so Debbie.
2: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this today. Well,
0: it's been a joy having you on the show. I mean, I, I know it might be hard to talk about all this stuff and get it out there but you're, you're very inspirational and i'm taking away a very positive feeling from from your story today and thank you well, so much debbie griffith
1: thank you thank you have a great day you too and ken it's so good to have you back on again and uh we'll come up with another show in a few weeks have a great day everybody thank all you. right bye
0: bye